I'm very happy to have on the episodes today, Catherine and Misha. Ladies, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes, sure. Um, hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, my name is Catherine Farini. I'm a producer slash creative content manager um, at Audience, and I'm located in Basel. Thank you, Catherine. What about you, Misha? Hi, Natalie. Hi, Catherine. Really great to be here today as well. Uh, my name is Misha Scheman, and I am a strategic and creative director working with audience. Uh, I also spend a great portion of my time designing and facilitating virtual and live uh, workshops and events. Awesome. Thank you so much for making the time, uh, both of you, to be on this episode today, um, today with me. So I think We've all been very familiar lately with Microsoft Teams, Zoom, Slack, Trello, Mural, Jamboard, and all those tools that we're uh, that came to our world um, very uh, rapidly, especially last year. Um, but this leads me to a question: So, what is you know what is really a collaborative platform? What is the definition for that? Um, so, what I found is that a collaborative platform is a virtual workspace where resources and tools are centralized with the aim of facilitating communication and personal interaction in a project. And they can have different objectives, such as communication and project management or co-creation, for example. With the explosion of collaborative platform last year, and a very uh, interesting number to share here, for example, as of December 2020, Microsoft Teams usage increased 3,891% from its base usage in February, which is just crazy, right? While Zoom usage grew 1,788%. So that just massive number, it's very impressive. So the first question that comes to my mind, when do we know which platform is best suited for a session? Who would like to take this first question? Yeah, maybe I can share um, like the perspective from um, a produ production side. For me, um, I quite quickly understand and see which platform or tool um, suits best for the client. That's most of the time starts when we have our kickoff call with the client, where we go through the idea of the event and what's needed in the event. And as soon as the client starts saying, oh, um, I need Q&A and I need this and I want to have breakouts, then my brain already starts working, going through all of the different platforms we have out there, or tools, of course, um, and starts evaluating which one suits best the needs of the client. So from a production perspective, I would say this goes quite quickly actually it's going quite rapidly in, in the process i guess it's by default or mine is already thinking about um thinking about the solution yes Misha, but do you do you want to add something yeah i'd love to build on what catherine just said and 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 say that i think from a strategic and creative point of view um one of the first things that is really important is to think about what are the objectives of the meeting? What is it that we want to get out of our collaboration process? Um, a second thing that's really important is to think about and discuss with the client in a really open way. What is the level of virtual competence? You know, what kind of competencies exist on the team in terms of um, using different platforms? Um, and then, you know, what capabilities do we want the platform uh, to be able to deliver? So what do we expect from the platform? How is it going to be used? 
So for example, if we're thinking about platforms for asynchronous use, so for example, you could think of a platform in that sense as a collective notebook, as somewhere online where people can share their ideals from wherever they are. On the other hand, we also use these kind of collaborative platforms in a live way. So we need to figure out uh, what works best. And finally, uh, we need to ask the, the very important question, which platforms are compliant within the corporate uh, environment that we're working in? Exactly. And I feel like sometimes that's also a limitation, right? Because some of our clients have like a set of tools that are available within their their working environment and some sometimes unfortunately the tools we're thinking or that would best fit is not part of their um of their suite so sometimes i feel like we have to work you know find like the solution and work with what we have um but there is there's always solution and i think it's also our role to kind of guide our client and guide the discussion to to you know be able to find the to develop the best outcome for those for those meeting. Um, so from from what I heard from both of you, I think this the discussion that we're having with, with our client reg with regards to collaborative platform is also bringing a kind of a change into the way we are working and our um, our tagline at audience is you know to bring meaningful change. So. In, in that sense, how do you, how have you been able uh, in your respective roles to help our client embrace this kind of, you know, virtual change? Because it, it's a it's a big change. Do you have like examples of or, or things you would like to share on this specific topic? I can take that one on. Um, I think it has a lot to do with, with mindset here. And it has a lot to do with some of the, the rules of engagement that we use in any kind of meeting as a facilitator. And one of the things that I have discovered in the last year is that you need to take things slow. You know, you need to meet people where they are and you need to give them that transition time from what they're thinking about, what they may be talking about one on one to actually collaborating in a group. So you need to give them the time to come into the collaboration space, to come on the collaboration platform. You need to uh, make sure that the technical issues are not getting in the way of collaboration. So, you know, getting that out of the way, you need to schedule time differently is really what I'm saying. You need to bring people into the room. You need to empower introverts and extroverts to collaborate on the tool in a way that uh, really brings the best ideas out of everybody, right? You need to respect different uh, ways of speaking and give people alternatives in terms of how they can contribute their ideas. So before I pass over to Catherine and uh, Natalie again, um, I would just like to give an example. I'm working in a series of strategic forums where we have a lot of people who have never used virtual technologies. And although we have a platform, we're using Mural, for example, we also give people alternative opportunities to send us input via email, via chat system that we can then curate and put on the virtual platform for them. Okay, interesting. Can I just dig a bit deeper into that, Misha? Does that mean what you're saying is that the preparation time should be longer for people to join a meeting on a collaborative platform, or it just needs to be time needs to be carved out into the the planning phase for the preparation of the the, the attendees? 
Yeah, I think it. you need to plan it out. You need to time block the process a little bit differently than you would for a live collaboration session. You need to think about, you know, how do we get people on board? Um, how do we how do we sum up uh, conversations? How do we engage everybody in a conversation? How do we manage the conversation? I think it's very different in a, in a virtual environment. Okay, thank you. Katrin, do you have anything you want to add on that? Yeah, so to add to what Misha just said, um, from my experience, it's also important that we give time to the client um, to experience the platform or the tool we are suggesting to them. At least from my experience, um, the clients are often a bit worried or even a bit scared of trying out new platforms or tools. So it always helps to just walk them through what functions are there um, to take away that fear a little bit. And then, of course, another important point that goes hand in hand with my first point is that we also need to make sure then that all attendees um, are aware of the different tools and the functions of the platform and to also brief them um, in a good way to make sure they're all set up and they're all feeling comfortable using that tool or platform. Um, we're often doing that um, by creating, for example, an attendee guide um, or even a speaker guide to make sure um, all information they, are, they need is um, included there. Um, and then, of course, we're also running technical rehearsals so that they have um, an opportunity to really test out mm -hmm. the tool or the platform. I, I think I, I really like what you see really resonates. Um, I, I think in recent meetings, I've really seen that, you know, taking the different types of audience and, and um, briefing them and making clear on how to best, you know, leverage those platforms is, is essential. So you're talking on one side about the speakers, which so if we're thinking about a, a, a big like conference or, or virtual meeting, they will um, they will have a, a specific uh, view or approach of how they're going to see the meeting, whereas the audience the audience and the participant will have something else. So for me, I think it's also essential that we think through the journey for each of them and making sure that they are all comfortable and and uh, they have all the the information to to best join and best participate and be engaged in um, in such a meeting. Mm -hmm. And I think if we think about this idea of collaboration as part of a meeting, like we're not really talking here about the whole meeting, but really about the collaborative part. And I think it's really a mindset shift, right? Like if I think as a facilitator, when I think about a live meeting um, or I come into a workshop room at a live meeting, I think, OK, there's the flip charts, check, sticky notes, check, colored markers, check, right? Everything is something that we take for granted um, in a virtual collaboration world. Suddenly people are asking, how do I make sticky notes? You know, where do I go to add images? Um, how do I zoom in and out? Um, so, you know, how will I bring people together to engage and how do I time block for maximum results and how am I going to expect people to stay with me and concentrate so there's a lot of different kinds of questions um, that come up in in order to really optimize how we collaborate uh, virtually and that I love your example Misha about like the about having the sticky notes ready and the flip charts ready. That's something I also had to learn actually when we um, started doing virtual events and doing virtual trainings and sessions um, that 
it's maybe easy for me to understand where all of these tools are hidden um, in the actual plat, but it's not that obvious maybe for um, the speaker or the attendees I'm having the call with. So taking that step back to make sure everyone understands um, was a big learning for me, actually. Thanks, Catherine, for um, this example. So I think so far we've discussed a bit about the mindset um, that we need to have to um, to be doing and participating to to workshop and events on on the on the collaborative platform. If we want to dig a bit now into what are the behaviors, so I think my first question is around what is the or what does remote working means for collaboration? Can we be uh, as collaborative in um, um, a remote setting um, than in a in a live in a live one. What what do you think? And I, I would love to hear examples from your both of your large experience of live events and and more recent virtual events. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, and I know we often are saying that um, we are lacking collaboration since we are working virtually. However. I actually have to disagree with that. Um, personally, I feel um, our new ways of working offer great opportunities, actually, especially if you have a team that is spread over the whole world or the whole country, at least. And that's something we have here at Audience. So I'm based here in Basel and we have a team in Cambridge. We have a team in Singapore and we have one in Toronto. And I feel since we're all working virtually, we are way more connected um, than we have been before, because before we have been working quite um, intensely in the Basel team, but not as intensely together with the Cambridge office, for example. And I feel this gives us a real great opportunity to connect with, um, with each other. Um, of course, important here is also, again, and that goes with what I said before, um, we need to make sure that there is the act, the right tool and the right platform to connect with your team. Um, and of course, you also need to make sure that the whole team is feeling comfortable with, with using that platform or that tool. But yeah, I feel there is big opportunity for everyone there. Awesome. And I, I think that it's there is a lot around communication and expectation settings within the team, right? When you When you know exactly how and when and what is the frequency of the communication and, and the interaction with the team is always it's always easier right Misha what about what do you think about this oh I totally agree with Catherine I think uh, virtual collaboration can be even better than face-to-face -face collaboration on a lot of levels um, one of the the real benefits is working around the globe, like following the sun, taking an idea around the globe. I've worked uh, on a leadership project uh, for a global strategy for a pharma company, and we basically did a sprint uh, over two time zones. And it was really effective because uh, people could work in California on uh, part of the project and then pass it over to the APAC region to continue the discussion. And in the meantime, they could also work locally to move the project forward. So there's time becomes, there's a, there's a real great, time stops to become a barrier for international teams, right? So that's really exciting on the one hand. The other thing is accessibility, right? It, it, you can involve a lot of people in the collaboration process, also in very short uh, term. So you can invite an external speaker or you can in, invite a, a group of people. And there's not a lot of um, 
energy that has to be spent to get there, right? Nobody has to fly a plane or take a taxi or mm -hmm. they can just dial in uh, at a, an hour of that's convenient in their day. And I think as we work in very professional environments and we'd like to have professional input, uh, we open up that resource incredibly through virtual. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And and I, I love the example that you, you gave around working around the sun, you said, right? I think from our perspective, it's it's also a, a very nice way for us to be creative and think about the you know the agenda or the approach of a specific meeting very differently than what we used to do for um, a face-to-face -face event because uh, what we used to do for um, a physical event was we go as you said people were traveling they go they go to a certain place they spend two days there and then they go back here it's it's about finding what could work best depending on who is participating, which time zone, et cetera. So I think it leads, it, it gives us a bit more of, of creativity to apply on the, on the agenda. And that's always very interesting. The other thing I think is really important in terms of really achieving the same or more in a virtual environment than in a live environment is not forgetting uh, two things. One is you really need to ask good questions, right? Um, a lot of clients, they want to use virtual to make it exciting, to make it engaging, and that's certainly possible, but you still need to ask the right questions and you discussion questions, and you need to have clear objectives. That's um, really important. And the other thing is, is really about using the virtual technologies in a holistic way. So that means deciding when do we discuss on camera? When do we take the camera off? When would it be better just to have a, a, dis a verbal discussion so everybody turns their cam cameras off? When do we, um, or how do we allow introverted people who may not feel comfortable in a joint language to communicate by using the chat, for example, or um, giving people the opportunity to provide feedback in a way that is not influencing others by doing a chat storm, right? Mm -hmm. Is, is a great tool where you ask people to give their response, not send it until the facilitator says them, instructs them to send it. And then everybody can see what happens uh, mm. in chat. So there's, I think, and also, I think it's super important to vary how you uh, have your collaboration teams, how you structure collaboration teams. So do you meet let people work on their own and then share with a group of four and then have somebody feedback the key learnings to the bigger group. Uh, when does it make sense to do an open conversation and how do you manage that? Um, so I think there's a lot of questions that have to do with the didactics of collaborating and the methodology and how do you involve the most amount of people in the conversation um, and allow uh, for different collaboration styles. I, I agree with what you said, Misha. I think We've been hearing a lot lately around the Zoom fatigue, which I think is also a buzzword now, but, you know, people being tired of being on the camera all the time, being on the screen. So I think it's also our role to help them, help our clients find different format, different activities where people can see the difference and really use the best time when they are together on the platform, online, on, on camera, to do exactly what they have to do during that time and separate maybe the activity that they can do either by themselves or um, or in a group of two, et cetera. So I think the, the variety is, is very important and this could only help 
to reduce that, you know, Zoom for yeah, Zoom fatigue or um, just the fact of being on, on camera all the time. How do the two of you deal with Zoom fatigue? Do you have a technique or is it something that? Oh, that's an interesting question. So uh, on my side, I'm trying not to have too many meetings in a row. I know everyone is going to laugh <laughs> because it's not easy in our job, right? But I'm blocking time in my calendar for deep attention work where I'm just going to be disconnected from teams or emails and I'm just going to focus on the work I have to do. I need to admit uh, it's not easy and um, realistic every day, but at least it give it give me a, a like a break from all you know the notification and everything. And the other thing that I'm usually doing is that after that um, deep attention work, I would either have lunch or go for a walk or go for a run, so that like it helps me kind of you know clear my mind and then I'm ready to come back in the afternoon. Um, um, maybe a bit more fresh and ready to take on the rest of the meetings for the day. That's my my techniques. Catherine, what about you? Yeah, it goes in the similar direction as yours, Natalie, actually. I, what I started doing is strictly blocking an hour or at least half an hour per day for a lunch break. Now, I know that sounds silly, but I haven't had that for a quite long time. So I'm really strict with that. And also what I started doing is um, go outside for a walk, even if it's just 20 minutes or so, to get some fresh air, to get away from the screen. I often listen to a podcast um, just to get um, something else in my mind than just the work. And I felt that's actually quite helpful. Yeah, it is. And I, Misha, what about you? What are your techniques to not being tired of, of uh, your laptop? Yeah, I'm actually going to pull it back to this collaboration thing and be a little bit provocative here. Um, I mean, everybody talks about Zoom fatigue and we talk about turning off self-view, which I find um, already helpful. And definitely everybody should do it because nobody really wants to collaborate looking at themselves collaborating in a mirror. Um, but I, I think it's more than that. I think it's um, these video calls make us tired and a little bit guilty. And, and you might be going, why guilty? Yes, why? Yeah, because I think that we might feel this sense of guilt if we're closely examining others, because I don't know if you've ever caught yourself really looking at the details of someone's face or zooming in on the stuff in their space. Um, you probably wouldn't do that in a non-virtual meeting because you'd feel rude. But I, I recently went to a workshop um, where we actually use this to the collaboration advantage. So we took this idea of being on screen and looking at each other and we took it to the other level of extreme and said, OK, let's take three minutes and meet in a group of two and just look at each other in silence like really just notice each other. What? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an experience. It was really uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to like look at someone else, to zoom in, to notice things and not actually comment, but it was also comfortable to feel like I was being looked at in detail. Scrutinized nearly, um, right? And it was an amazing way to build trust. Uh, and I'm actually still in contact with my silent sitting partner from this workshop. and. Why is this good for collaboration? And I, I think one of the things about collaboration is feeling like you're in a safe place, feeling like you're in a place where people are not going to judge you for your ideas, feeling like 
you you're with someone that you partner with that you can exchange ideas with that you're on eye level with right and there's nothing more um intense in order of coming at an eye to be to, to be eye level with someone else as to just spend time looking at them and looking at each other so this taught me about using silence in the collaboration process and turning this kind of zoom fatigue into an actual zoom technique to deepen collaboration and this could be used on ms teams or cisco webex it doesn't really matter which uh platform you're using i love that example misha and i'm surprised did you manage to 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 do the three minutes without saying anything i did i know that's hard to believe with me i know <laughs> exactly <laughs> i fidgeted a lot thank you again misha for this this great example so what i would be interested in uh, in knowing now is from your recent experience in the in the virtual space, what are your main takeaways um, as a producer, um, content, a creative content manager, and as a facilitator? Do you want to elaborate a bit on this? Maybe Katrin, if you want to go first. Yeah, where to start? There, <laughs> there are so many. I would say like the main one is when, and I had to learn that the hard way actually. So when you're planning a virtual event, you really need to think um, about it as a virtual event. You, you can't like pull in um, a two-day agenda you would normally have done face-to-face um, -face into a virtual event. And that's really because you can't keep peop um, a whole audience um, at the screen for eight hours straight without a break. So a big learning from me was, for me really was to have enough breaks in your agenda when you're planning a virtual event. We often do that um, by including a walk and podcast break, for example. We, for that, we are sharing a couple of podcast options with the attendees and we tell them, you go guys now, you go outside, get some fresh air, um, have a listen to that podcast if you like to. And we are back in the plenary or in our virtual meeting again in like half an hour. That way they get away from the screens, but still are having the content um, or the purpose of the meeting in their minds. So that's a big learning from my end. And of course, also, you can't just have like um, one-way presentations in your virtual meeting. You need to allow for interactivity, um, for breakouts, for an opportunity for the attendees to also talk to each other and do something so that they are not just like falling asleep while you have a presenter go rumbling through um, a three-hour presentation. That makes total sense. Um, Misha, what do you what do you think? What is your point of view on this? I agree with Catherine. It's it's very hard to summarize. But if I were to summarize, I think there's uh, five different key takeaways that I would put together. And uh, one of our colleagues, Gary uh, Hawes, she's um, a, a specialist in acronyms and she's uh, taught me today to think about acronyms as well. And mine today is share in terms of what I would really think are my main takeaways. And the one is, S is about seeing beyond your own limitations. So that means setting up a meeting, a collaborative meeting from the very beginning uh, by looking at what are people's strengths. And very specifically, it can be something like, call me on it if I always interrupt and finish people's sentences. I mean, that would be one that, that I could use, right? Um, <laughs> and the other thing is really surrounding yourself with other people, uh, which means being uh, aware and of the Cuba syndrome, 
right? The Cuba syndrome is when you surround yourself with people who think like you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to have a really uh, productive um, collaboration session, you need to surround yourself with people who don't only think like you, but who think differently and who have uh, different responsibilities and concerns. The other thing is to hold uh, H is for hold your audience up to the light. So keep your audience at the center um, of your collaboration process. And you can even put personas up. So if you're working on a mural board, for example, you could put customer personas, um, create them and have them always up there. So you're always having the customer perspective um, as part of your discussion. The other thing is A is for answer less, question more. We recently worked on a project um, where we created a playbook about asking questions. And it was based on Hal Gregerson's book, Questions Are the Answer. And it's the process called Question Bursts. Um, and that's a really, really great way to get deeper into things, but also to get people focused on where they want to focus and, and devote time to in terms of challenges that they want to tackle. Um, there's two more. The one is R for respect your peers, the time, the process. I think working and collaborating virtually um, is different. Uh, we are time boxing our time in different ways during the day. Um, so it's really about being empathetic for what's going on in the background, but also being um, uh, committed to the time and to the process that you've agreed on and working the process until it's exhausted itself. Don't give up too quick. Do not give up too quick. And finally, exiting with a clear agenda of next steps. And Tim Ferguson uh, from Audience said something once that always stuck with me. I think it's great advice. Um, and that's that we leave all meetings with one voice. So we only leave with the bags that we're willing to carry and unpack. And I think that's a really great advice for a collaborative session virtually. Thank you, Misha. I love your acronym. It's very, very powerful. Thank you for listening. If you've loved this episode of Message Received, please follow and come back for the next episode, Insights into Meeting and Event Production with Tim Ferguson and Bethan Johnson.